You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. All right. You can stop your Lion King discussion. (laughs) The movie was just all right. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) my gosh. Go ahead and open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. We're continuing our study of the Gospel of Mark this evening. Um, and as, as uh, I believe it was Stephen said, uh, we are really grateful uh, for, to, to be able to be back home and for it to not be 96 degrees in the sanctuary like it was last Sunday evening. It was horrible. Uh, we're really grateful to be back home. Uh, but this evening, as we study the Gospel of Mark, We come to a confrontation between the Lord Jesus and the Pharisees concerning the Sabbath. Now, last week, uh, I preached about legalism, and I'm going to do that again this week and probably next week. Usually, whenever Jesus and the Pharisees go head-to-head, we're going to have a discussion about legalism. Um, But as I said last week, legalism can mean a couple of different things. Last week, we saw that legalism can mean this. A system of religion where the adherent seeks to be right with God, meaning forgiven, accepted, righteous with God, by rule-keeping, right? Where you try to earn your salvation. That's one thing that we can talk about when we talk about legalism. And last week, we saw how that is completely incompatible with the gospel of grace, right? We don't earn our right standing with God. We receive it as a gift through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, through faith alone in Christ alone, not by any works that we do. Uh, But this week, we're going to look at the second kind of legalism. And this kind of legalism often goes along with the first, but it doesn't necessarily have to. But here's what I mean this week whenever I say legalism. Adding man-made rules to the law of God. I'll say it again. Adding man-made rules to the law of God. Making personal opinions, traditions, and rules equal to the law of God. To speak in more puritanical language, binding people's consciences with things that God never commanded and things that God never prohibited. And you guys know what I'm talking about, right? We see it in some sects of Christianity today, and if we're going to be completely honest, The majority of us, at least from what I know, looking out, the majority of us grew up with it. A lot of us grew up in legalistic churches. Tell me if, uh, here are the greatest hits uh, that I can remember. Christians can't drink, period, ever. Right? Christians can't drink. It is a sin to consume beverage alcohol. Uh, Another one, Christians can't play cards. Right? I used to go to church camp. They took my cards from me every year, but I was resilient. I brought them every year. Right? Regardless of we can have a discussion about whether or not gambling is a violation of the Tenth Commandment, that's a discussion, but I mean just to play cards is a sin. Uh, Christian women can't wear anything but a dress or a skirt, even if their attire is still modest or at the bare minimum. You have to wear a dress or a skirt to church if you're a woman, and you have to wear long pants to church if you're a man. Uh, smoking is a sin. Uh, Christians can't go to the movies or have televisions in their home, right? Not even a conversation about what's wise to watch or what should we be putting into our minds, but just you can't watch uh, the moving pictures, right? Um, Let's see, what else uh, did I write down here? No dancing ever, especially if you're Baptist, right? We don't play that game. No dancing ever. Not even about modesty, just no dancing. Uh, There's a list of words that you're not allowed to say under any circumstances ever. That was another rule. You guys know what I'm talking about. I'll probably lose my job if I told you them right now. Um, You have to go to church three times a week, every week. And every time that there is a, quote, revival, whatever that means, because you can schedule God's revival, um, and a bunch of other stuff, right? And, And those rules that you can't find in the Bible over time, become equal to the Word of God. And you're considered to be an unbeliever, or at the, li- at the least, in sin if you break those rules. That is legalism. I really hate legalism. That is legalism. And we're going to see this evening that Jesus was not okay with that kind of junk. The Lord Jesus Christ refused to submit to the unbiblical rules of the Pharisees. Jesus even said to the Pharisees who constantly added their own rules to the law of God, he said this, in vain, he's he's quoting Isaiah, in vain do they worship me, 
teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He said that their extra rules were not a part of true worship that God accepted. That they, in adding all of their rules to the word of God, were not accepted by God. And so this text, in part, at least, is about legalism. And about how Jesus frees his people from man-made rules about religion and being made right with God. But this passage, switch gears a little bit, and the next one is also a discussion about the Sabbath. And how the Sabbath is to be observed. And who has authority over the Sabbath. Namely, does Jesus have authority over the Sabbath? Or do the Pharisees have authority over the Sabbath? And sadly, I'm going to go off on a tangent here for the next five minutes or so. Sadly, a lot of Christians today think that any biblical discussion about the Sabbath, they they don't think that it has any relevance to them because Christians are under the New Covenant and that the Sabbath was just for the Old Covenant. There are many Christians today, I used to be one of them, right? so I hope you don't think I'm coming down hard on you. Uh, I used to be one of them that think that there is no Sabbath command for the Christian and that that was something unique to the Jews. But I think that that's misguided. I believe that there is a Christian Sabbath under the New Covenant. We just call it the Lord's Day. That's Sunday, today, the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath. So I just want to take a minute and give a brief defense for the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, today, Sunday. So hopefully that you guys can see as we go through this that all of this passage is relevant for us, not just a couple of parts of it, but the whole thing is relevant for us. Uh, And if you were here for the Sermon on the Fourth Commandment, this is just a very, very quick review on the Sabbath command. But the Sabbath principle that we see in the Bible is this. One day in seven is to be set apart for the Lord. It's to be a day of rest, and it's to be a day of worship, where you rest from your ordinary work, you don't make anyone else work, and you devote yourself to worship. The fourth commandment says it's to be a Sabbath to the Lord, meaning you devote the day to Him. But the Sabbath principle was first instituted at creation in Genesis 2 not at Sinai in Exodus 20. That's why a lot of people think the Sabbath is only for the Old, old Covenant. It's only for the Jews because that's when it was established was Exodus 20. That's not true. Read your, read your Bible again. Genesis 2, we see that after God created the world and, and everything in it, he blessed the seventh day, made it holy, meaning he set it apart, and he made that day the Sabbath day. That means that the Sabbath is a creation ordinance. It was given at creation, like marriage. It was given at creation, and therefore, it is binding and has relevance until the end of the world, just like marriage, right? No one would argue that marriage was something just for the old covenant, right? I hope you got a better view of marriage than that, right? So neither is the Sabbath. Both are creation ordinances. Both are given at creation. Not only that, we got a few more quick defenses of the Sabbath for Christians, but the Sabbath was reiterated in the fourth commandment, and why do I bring that up? Because We often say that the Ten Commandments are the summary of the moral law of God. And what do we know? God gave us ten commandments, not nine. Right? He gave us ten commandments. He didn't place a ceremonial law in the middle of his moral law. It it never made sense to me that God would place a ceremonial law that, that was going to pass away someday right in the dead middle of the summary of his eternally binding moral law. That never sat right with me even before I was what they call a Sabbatarian, which makes you sound like a vegetarian with some hot sauce. Um, (laughs) But furthermore, the Ten Commandments are the only commandments that the Bible says that God wrote with his own finger, which means that these laws are especially tied to him. And since God doesn't change, in theology we say God is immutable, he doesn't change, his moral law does not change either. So the fourth commandment, though the day may have changed, still has significance for Christians. Another thing to consider is how many times Jesus confronts the Pharisees about their understanding, or rather... good? All right. But another thing for us to consider is how many times Jesus confronted the Pharisees about their understanding of the Sabbath. That just got really loud. Uh, But Jesus took a, a decent bit of time in his ministry to clarify what the Sabbath is for 
and how it's a blessing for God's people. Not only that, but we're going to see even in our passage this evening that Jesus declares himself to be Lord of the Sabbath. It doesn't make much sense to me that Jesus would spend that much time clarifying what the Sabbath is for and also declaring his lordship over the Sabbath if that day was to be a dead and meaningless day in just a very short time. That doesn't make sense. Can you guys hear me? Okay. One final thing. I know that the Sabbath was Saturday under the Old Covenant, right? But I believe that it is implied in the New Testament that the day changed to Sunday. I think there's a parallel here. Consider this. Saturday was the, God, was the day that God finished his work of creation and then rested. Right? He did his work of creation and then entered his rest. Sunday was the day that the Lord Jesus Christ finished his work of salvation and then entered into his rest by his resurrection. I think there's a parallel there. God created, rested. That day became the Sabbath. Christ saved his people, entered his rest on Sunday, and that became the Christian Sabbath. Not only that, but we see in the New Testament that believers met on Sunday to worship God. It was their day of worship. And that day, Sunday, the day of Christian worship, is referred to by John in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10 as the Lord's Day. And that word, Lord's, the possessive form of Lord, is found in only one other place in the New Testament. And it's a reference to the Lord's Supper. And we know that the Lord's Supper is completely and uniquely Jesus Christ's. It's his supper. We're only allowed to come to it because he invites us as his people to come. But it's uniquely and completely his. And John says that Sunday is the Lord's day. Same grammar. Meaning that the day is completely and uniquely Jesus's. Not just a few hours, not just two hours on Sunday evening to come to church, but the day. One last thing. What does God call the Sabbath in the Isaiah 58, he says, my holy day. And in the New Testament, we see it is called Jesus' day. I think there's a parallel for us to see there. So again, I think it's implied that Sunday, the Lord's day, is the Christian Sabbath. And the principles of devoting the day to rest, allowing others to rest by not making them work, and spending the day in public and private worship continue to apply to that day. Now, I know that many of you guys are not down with the idea of the Christian Sabbath. And again, I used to not be as well. But I want to challenge you with a question that really challenged me whenever I was completely opposed to the idea of a Christian Sabbath. And I ask you guys to search your hearts and answer this, uh, meditate on it, really think through it. Do you reject the idea of the Christian Sabbath because you are convinced by Scripture that this creation ordinance written by the finger of God and further clarified in the New Testament by Jesus Christ, genuinely does not apply to Christians? Are you convinced by Scripture that it genuinely doesn't apply to Christians? Or, I don't know your heart, but like most people, do you reject the Lord's Day as the Christian Sabbath simply because I just don't want to? Right? That it just cramps your style of living and how you spend your Sunday that you reject Sunday as the Christian Sabbath because you just like to use the day however you want, because you just like doing work that you probably could have done on the other days of the week on the Lord's Day, because you just like to go to the coffee shop or you just like to go to lunch or dinner at a restaurant on the Lord's Day or because you want to go bowling or to a game or to a movie or whatever and you really don't care if other people get to rest because you're enjoying yourself. My prayer is that you guys would reconsider the Lord's Day as a blessing to you not scorn it because it's a new concept for you. Please don't scorn it. Or just because you're being stubborn. Which is where I was at for a while. Uh, my prayer is that you guys would see that a day of rest and worship and, and Christian fellowship and reading the scriptures and prayer and reading good books about the faith and listening to sermons and all that is really a blessing to you from God. That, 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 that you would see that it's good for your soul and good for your body to rest and devote the whole day to not just two hours at church. I know that that took a good bit of time. I've been up here for 15 minutes. I promise to try to shorten it up for the rest of the sermon. But I believe it would have been foolish for me, in light of our text this evening, for me not to take the time to reiterate those things to you guys. Right? But in our text this evening, I think we're going to see three things. And they're all for us. Right? One, 
we're going to see that Jesus frees us from legalism. He frees us from legalism. Two, we're going to see that Jesus shows us the blessing of the Sabbath. And three, we're going to see that Jesus is Lord. Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of everything. All right, so with that said, let's go ahead and read our text this evening. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, we come before you this evening and ask that you would enlighten our minds by your word. Please teach us about the freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus. Teach us that your Sabbaths are a blessing and teach us more of who Jesus is. Please glorify yourself in the preaching of the word this evening. We ask for this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, so our text begins with Jesus and his disciples walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. Right? Uh, it's kind of conjecture, but they were probably walking to the synagogue. Uh, but on the way, apparently some of the disciples got hungry and began plucking heads of grain, as our text tells us. Uh, now, before you think that what they did wrong was stealing, I want to clarify that for you. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 24 and 25, we can read there and see where God actually made a provision for travelers plain old hungry people, right? The law in Deuteronomy said that you were allowed to take handfuls of grain and eat them in order to satisfy your hunger if you didn't have any other on hand, right? If you're passing through someone's grain field, you're allowed to, you can't put any in your bag, right? You can't lay a sickle to their stuff and harvest what belongs to someone else. You're allowed to take enough to satisfy your hunger, right? So the disciples aren't doing anything wrong. They're not stealing from anybody. They're actually acting in accordance with the law of God. This is just one example, by the way, of many say there's no grace in the Old Testament. How gracious and kind was God to give this law, right, for the poor and for the hungry, right? Just real quick, there's all kinds of grace in the Old Testament. Um, but they're acting in accordance with the law of God. God didn't say they're not allowed to do this on the Sabbath. They're hungry, so and they're in need, so they ate what was available to, to them in accordance with the law. And if you read our text, it's at least implied Jesus is totally cool with this, right? Jesus is fine with this. He's not rebuking them. He's not calling them to repent. He's not telling them that they're breaking the Sabbath. He's not telling them that they're doing anything wrong because they weren't doing anything wrong. Jesus was fine with their actions. And even though the Son of God was okay with what his people were doing, the Pharisees weren't. Right? The legalists are never okay with anything. They're miserable people. But the Pharisees weren't okay with it. And, and a, a side note, apparently since this all goes down in a grain field, the Pharisees were just following Jesus and his disciples around looking for something. Or they're just looking for something to complain about. But, but anyway, the Pharisees see all this going on, and they go and say to Jesus, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? That's a really bold accusation. That's a very bold accusation against Jesus' disciples. The Pharisees are accusing them of sin. In fact, a very, very gross, heinous sin. They're accusing them of Sabbath-breaking, Right? was a capital offense under the Old Covenant. They're accusing them of breaking the Sabbath. But to make sense of this accusation, you guys need to know some stuff about the Pharisees and how they viewed the Sabbath and how they observed it. Right? I found this very interesting in my study. Uh, so you remember from my introduction, God codified the Sabbath in the law given at Sinai, right? Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Uh, but in the Fourth Commandment, if you, read, if you take time to read it again, you'll see that God doesn't give a whole lot of specifics there. He gives principles. Rest from your work, let other people rest, and devote the day to me. That's essentially what God says in the fourth commandment. He doesn't give a whole lot of specifics. God did not specifically define there what rest is. 
Right? He, again, he left it as a principle and not a detailed list of what exactly qualifies as rest and what exactly qualifies as work. But over the centuries, the rabbis and eventually the Pharisees did what they liked to do. They, they devoted themselves to defining and, and fine-tuning the Sabbath commandment. If you ever read rabbinic literature, they do this to almost every single one of the laws of God. And they added a ton of man-made rules to the Sabbath commandment. And these rules, arbitrary. Arbitrary. They're nowhere in Scripture are these rabbinic rules. You can read the Mishnah and the Talmud and see these things. None of the details about, the, about Sabbath keeping that the Pharisees adhered to were to be found in the Bible. But over time, as happens often, the traditions and rules of the religious elite became as binding on the people's consciences as the Word of God itself. And there were a ton of rules that they placed on the Sabbath. Right, a, a ton. And they, they were crazy. The, the rabbis and the Pharisees were crazy about narrowly defining work and placing all these rules on the Sabbath so people wouldn't break it. They became so extreme that they had 39 different categories of work that was forbidden on the Sabbath. And in each of those 39 categories were huge, huge lists of rules. There are actually over a thousand rules governing the Sabbath in rabbinic literature. And let me give you some of the greatest hits so you guys can see how ridiculous that these Pharisees got. The Old Testament says not to carry a burden on the Sabbath. Again, part of work. Don't work on the Sabbath. Don't carry a burden on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees find a burden as anything that weighs more than a dried fig. That's not very much. Anything that weighs more than a dried fig. You can't carry it if it's heavier than that. Or you can carry one thing that weighs half a dried fig twice, and that would be fine. Uh, if you threw an item into the air and caught it with your other hand, you broke the Sabbath. But if you caught it with the same hand, you're good to go. Uh, this is a funny one. You couldn't look into a mirror because a woman might see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it out and Fucking was considered work by the rabbis. Um, you couldn't take a bath because water could fall into the floor and wash the floor by accident, and that was work. Uh, you couldn't travel any more than 1,999 steps on the Sabbath. One more step than that was a sin. Uh, if your clothing ripped, you could put one stitch in your clothing, but any more than one stitch on the Sabbath was a sin. Um, they viewed writing as a work, the Pharisees did. So you could write up to two letters on the Sabbath day, but any more than two letters on the Sabbath day was a violation. And when I say letters, I don't mean like Paul's letter to the Romans. I mean like alphabet letters. You could write two letters on the Sabbath. I don't know what you're going to spell with two letters, but you could write two letters. Uh, if a candle was lit, not allowed to put it out on the Sabbath. That's work. Or uh, if the candle was not lit, you weren't allowed to light the candle. Uh, you couldn't leave a radish in salt because it would become pickled, and that was considered work. Uh, you couldn't make a knot on the Sabbath. You could not untie a knot on the Sabbath. You guys get the idea, right? Literally, a thousand, a thousand plus rules like this governing the Sabbath. It got annoying, didn't it, as I was going on? That was just the funny stuff. That's not like the real laborious stuff, right? Just a ton of rules governing the Sabbath with no basis in the Scriptures. Rules that God did not give to govern the day, but that men had given to govern the day. What the Pharisees had done is they had taken this day that God gave to mankind as a day of rest and worship, celebration, and joy in who God is, and they made it into an unbearable burden. An unbearable burden. People dreaded the Sabbath. Think about it. How could you not dread the Sabbath if you have over a thousand rules on it? They didn't look forward to the day with joy. The people did not look forward to the day in anticipation because all of the joy that God had intended for the day had been sucked out by these man-made rules. Because of the, all of the wearisome rules of the Pharisees, the day had become a crippling day of rule-keeping and unnecessary guilt because you were always worried if you were keeping the rules how you were supposed to. And that is what legalism does. That's what legalism does. That's what adding to the law of God does. It burdens the people of God. This should make you angry, Christian. It's a burden to the people of God. That's why in Matthew, the context to Jesus actually having this discussion is right after Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden.
then he has this discussion about the Sabbath because legalism burdens the people of God. Legalism makes God's people feel like, feel guilty, like they've done something wrong when they've done nothing that God forbids. It makes people focus more on themselves and whether or not they're obeying these unbiblical rules rather than whether or not they're pleasing God according to His Word. Legalism makes people more concerned with the rules of their tradition or their culture or their religious upbringing more than their concern with what God has said. Moreover, it makes them look to the gatekeepers of the religion, the alleged professionals and elite of the religion, the holy people. It makes them look to those people as the authority rather than the scriptures as our final authority. And that was part of the problem that the Pharisees had with Jesus' disciples. The disciples hadn't broken God's law. They had broken the Pharisees' rules. That was the problem. right? And let me explain that to you. The disciples plucked the grain, and according to Luke and Luke 6, they rubbed the grain in their hand to get rid of all the fluffy stuff, because I know a lot about agriculture. I believe it's called chaff. But they rubbed, uh, they rubbed the grain to get all that junk off, and then they would either blow the chaff off or throw it, into the, throw it onto the ground or whatever. They discarded it, right? And three of the 39 categories of work, according to the Pharisees, were this. Harvesting, threshing, and winnowing. And the Pharisees legitimately considered plucking the grain, rubbing the grain in your hand, and discarding the chaff as harvesting, threshing, and winnowing. Yeah. Ludicrous. In what world do you think that that's work? In what world do you think that that's harvesting, threshing, and, and, and winnowing. It's insanity. But that's what legalism does. Right? It nitpicks everything to death and devolves into absurdity. As R.C. Sproul said, the disciples were picking grain and the Pharisees were picking nits. Right? There's nitpicking people to death. But you'll notice here in this text that the Pharisees were heartless and cold, weren't they? Absolutely heartless. They didn't care that the disciples were hungry and had a legitimate need for food, which, by the way, we are allowed to do what is necessary on the Sabbath. We're allowed to fulfill our needs on the Sabbath. But they didn't care. They didn't care that the Lord Jesus was sanctioning what the disciples were doing. They didn't care that the disciples were acting in accord with Deuteronomy 23 and satisfying their hunger. All they cared about was the fact that the disciples were breaking their rules. That was the issue. So when they go to Jesus... They're saying, essentially, why do your disciples break our rules? It would be better for them to go hungry than to break any of our rules. That's another thing about legalism. Legalists only care about the rules. The legalist obeys rules for the sake of rule keeping. They don't even consider why God gave the law to begin with. God gave us the law for our good. Look at any of the Ten Commandments. Are they not for your good? Have no gods but God because all other idols lead to damnation. Right? That's the first summary of the law. No gods but God. Respect God. Make time for God. Look at the second table of the law. Don't commit adultery. That's good for human flourishing. Don't steal. That's good for human flourishing. Right? The law is meant for our good. Summarized in love God and love your neighbor. But they miss the point of the law, as legalists often do. They miss the point that it's for your good, not just for the sake of rule-keeping for rule-keeping, but because you love God and because you love your neighbor. But ironically enough, the Pharisees prove that they don't love God because they add to His Word. They don't believe His Word is sufficient or enough. And they prove that they don't love their neighbor because they couldn't care less about the hunger of the disciples. They missed the point, and they only cared about their own rules. And they felt this way because they honestly believed that they were the source of authority on all things religious. That, that was the big issue, the issue of authority. Who makes the rules here? You could, you could, you could look at, the day, at this text that way. Who makes the rules here, Jesus or the Pharisees? Who makes the rules? Who gets the final say? on what's appropriate on the Sabbath, and by extension, anything else. 
Jesus or the Pharisees? So Jesus answers them. And like last week, I think he answers their question directly first in verses 25 and 26, but then he goes deeper in the final two verses. Let's go ahead and read verses 25 and 26. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. To defend his disciples, Jesus immediately appeals to the word of God to justify their behavior. Right? What a great example to us. You don't just sit around and argue with people. Well, I think, well, I think, that's stupid. No, Scripture settles all disputes about doctrine and practice for the people of God. Jesus gives us that example in his temptation, right? The devil tempts him. He appeals to the word of God. Whenever the Pharisees come at him and dispute him on something, have you not read? Have you not read? Is it not written? It is written, right? He always does that. But Jesus starts by saying, have you never read? And this, this point is honestly just personally for me. Uh, that is hilarious, right? Consider the context here. Jesus says to the Pharisees, have you not read? Right, these are the people who pride themselves on knowing everything that there is to know about the Bible. Everything there is to know about the Old Testament and all of its historical accounts and all of its laws and all that. But Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, haven't you read your Bibles? What's wrong with you? That had to, oh, that had to make them so angry. But anyway, but then Jesus makes reference to an event that happened in 1 Samuel chapter 21 verses 1 through 6, and we're not going to turn there right now, but write that down, read that on your own. 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. But I'll go ahead and summarize that passage for you. Check it against me like a good Berean and see if I'm lying or not. But God's anointed king, King David, and a group of his men were on the run from Saul because Saul wanted to kill David. And while they're on the run, probably on a Sabbath, some commentators argue, but while they're on the run, they run out of food and became hungry. Uh, but David remembered that there should be food in the tabernacle, right, the place where God is worshipped. So they head on over to the town of Nob, N-O-B. They head over to Nob, where the tabernacle was at the time. And David goes in, and he asks the priest if he and his men can have some bread. And the priest answers him, I don't have any ordinary bread. I don't have any regular bread. All I have here is the bread of the presence. Right? And that bread was holy part of the ceremonial law of God, meaning this bread in the tabernacle was governed by God's commandments. The, the bread of the presence uh, were 12 loaves of bread that would be set on a golden table in the tabernacle. And they were set there symbolically before God to represent the 12 tribes of Israel constantly in the presence of God. A beautiful picture there, bread of the presence. And every Sabbath day, the 12 loaves that were on the table in the tabernacle were taken away and replaced with fresh loaves. And by God's ceremonial law, according to God's commandment, only the priests were allowed to eat the old bread. And they had to eat it in a holy place. That's why the priest told David, I don't have any ordinary bread. I don't have any regular bread for you. I only have the bread of the presence. And you know that according to the ceremonial law, only priests are allowed to eat that. And you're a king. You're not a priest. And your men, they're not priests either. All I have is this Long story short, because David and his men were hungry, and because they were in need, the priest gives them the bread of the presence to eat, and they eat it, and they satisfy their hunger. And you should know this, nowhere in the Bible, in the whole Bible, is David, his men, or the priest condemned for what happened that day. Not even hinted at that they did anything wrong. In other words... God was okay with it. God was fine with it. And that's Jesus' point. David and his men didn't do anything wrong in eating the bread of the presence. Now you're sitting here going, what in the world does this have to do with the Pharisees? Just like I was on Monday when I started studying this text. Uh, but what Jesus is doing here is he's arguing from greater to lesser. Right? From greater to lesser. The point he's making here is simple, but it's really, really, really profound. He knows that the Pharisees love King David. Right? And they're looking for the son of David. They're looking for the promised eternal king, the Messiah. And they would never speak against David. So Jesus 
is inviting the Pharisees to compare him to David. And his point is something like this. If God was okay with David setting aside the ceremonial law of God, God's law, God was okay with David setting aside his own law for a moment because he was in need. God's okay with that. Then surely it's okay for Jesus, the greater David, the eternal king promised from David's line. Surely it's okay for him to set aside all of the Pharisees' rules. It's okay, rather, if it, I'm going to restate this a couple of different times. If it was okay for David, who is lesser than Jesus, to set aside God's ceremonial law, which is greater than the Pharisees' rules, then surely it's okay that the divine Son of David, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to set aside the lesser rules of the Pharisees. If God sanctioned David doing that with his own law, then surely God approves of Jesus setting aside all of the Pharisees' rules. Simple point. Bound. In short, Jesus answers their question with a sting, and it kind of makes you laugh when you understand his point. The Pharisees come up and say, why do your disciples break our rules? Jesus says, because they don't have to obey your rules. They don't have to. And why don't they have to obey your rules? Because I said so. If David didn't do anything wrong, then I'm not doing it. If David could do that with God's ceremonial law, then I can do whatever I want with that's the essence of what Jesus says back to them. Jesus is here declaring his authority over the traditions of the elders. He's declaring the authority to discard everything that does not comply with the word of God or is not found in the word of God. And he is also declaring that his people are free from all man-made rules of religion. I want to make a point here. Christian, do you see the that Christ has just declared for you. Freedom. He has just declared that you are free from all of the vain opinions of men. You're free to ignore them, just as Christ ignored the Pharisees. You are free from a slavish obedience to what supposed religious authorities say if it is not found in the Word of God, no matter who it is, whether it be Pope, pastor, or council. You are free from the opinions of men. In Christ, you are free to obey God and God alone according to His Word. So here, I want to encourage you with something. And I pray you use this wisely and don't be disrespectful to people. But when someone comes to you declaring that something is a sin or that you must do something if you're a Christian, you can answer back, where is it written? Where is it written? Where has my Lord Jesus revealed this in the Scriptures? Where? And if it's not found in the Word, you are free to disregard it. Impunity is to ignore it. But, on the other hand, we're not antinomian. We're not lawless people. If it is in His Word, you are bound by the Lord Jesus Christ to obey. And listen, it's all His Word. We're not red-letter Christians. That's dumb. The whole Bible is the Word of God. The whole Bible is, Christ is the second person of the Trinity. He is God. He is Yahweh. It's all His Word. If it's in the book, you're bound to obey. But if it's not, you have freedom. You have freedom. You have freedom, honestly, to listen to the man-made rules you want and freedom to discard it if you want. But the 1689 London Baptist Confession, chapter 21, verse 2, summarizes this really well. It says, God alone is Lord of the conscience and hath left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are in anything contrary to his word or not contained in it. Praise God. Praise God. Jesus frees us from legalism, and he sets us free so that we can render true, joyful obedience to God alone according to his word. And if you have ever labored under the rules of men, as I know many of you have, some of you might still wrestle with your upbringing or what a preacher looked you in the face and told you when you were young that has no basis in the word of God. If you have ever labored under the rules of mere men and the unnecessary feelings of guilt, you know what a cause for rejoicing this is. You're free from it. Not only has Christ freed us from the power of sin and the penalty for our 
sin, but Christ has freed us from the opinions of men. But then Jesus goes deeper in verses 27 and 28. The Pharisees don't understand the purpose of the Sabbath. And they don't understand who the real divine ruler of the Sabbath is either. In verse 27, Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. That's a beautiful declaration. We can tie back into why I talked about all the Sabbath stuff in the introduction. Jesus tells the Pharisees that they have missed the entire point of the Sabbath. I'll tell you why we don't obey your rules, because we don't have to obey your rules. Well, let's go a little bit further. You don't even understand the Sabbath. Jesus says it was never meant to be a day of endless rules. It was never meant to be a day of a thousand rules and endless definitions of what work is and what rest is. But rather, it was always intended by God to be a day of rest and celebration and joy in the Lord. The Sabbath was made for man means that God gave us this day as a gift. Again, Saturday for the Jews, Sunday the Lord's Day for the Christian. Think about it this way. He made man on the sixth day. Here's Jesus' argument, I think. He made man on the sixth day and then made the Sabbath on the seventh. He made the Sabbath for man. It's as if the first gift God gave to mankind was here is the day. Here is a day of rest and worship. A gift to you. And he gave the gift to all mankind at creation. The, The Sabbath is a blessing to us. Please hear me, especially those of you who aren't down with this idea of Lord's Day Sabbath. The Lord's Day is meant to be a blessing for you. It was created for your rest, for your spiritual good and your physical good. Right? We live in an age where people work themselves to death. Right? It doesn't seem to end, does it? There's always something else to do. But here, in the Sabbath, God gives us a blessing. And He says, I command you to take a day off. How is that bad? Right? Like, that's like the easiest. I command you to take a day off. To take your mind off of the world and all of the things of the world and focus on me and worship me. How in the world could God have ever meant this to be a burden? He didn't. God's Sabbath command is for our benefit, like all the other of the Ten Commandments. Right? Our bodies need a rest. Everyone needs a rest, and God, by sovereign decree, gives us one day a week to rest. How could this be a bad thing? Right? You don't need labor unions to get a day off. You need the Scriptures, right? Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Not only that, but we need spiritual help, do we not? God knows, by the way, that wasn't a slap at all on labor unions. Calm down. Any of you are upset. But God knows that we need spiritual help. Right? God knows that we are that we need to focus on Him. He knows that He knows that we are so prone to become focused on the things of the world and get so short-sighted that we lose sight of spiritual reality. We lose sight of the things that matter most. So what does God do? He demands that we devote the day to Him. To devote the day to Him. That we worship together as His church and that we worship privately and instruct one another, encourage one another in the Word. It's for our spiritual good that God tells us to devote the whole of one day and seven to him. It's for your good. Listen, how is it a burden to any Christian that God gives us a day to worship corporately, meet together with one another in fellowship, read the scriptures, catch up on prayer, read good spiritual books, and rest our bodies? How is that a burden? But I fear that some of us view the Lord's Day like like the Pharisees. I'm not saying that disagree with me on the Sabbath, that you're not a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. But I think that a lot of Christians view the Lord's Day like a Pharisee. Where we're only concerned with what we can and cannot do. And, and we make this, this idea of a Sabbath a burden to ourselves because we take no joy in it. That's not the proper way to think about the Sabbath. Not just, well, what, what can I, what can't I do? Right? No, rather you should consider what you get to do on You get to rest. You get to devote the day to worship and be spiritually revived. God did not have to command you to rest. He could have actually commanded that we work like dogs every single day of our lives. God didn't have to command us to devote the day to Him 
and to assemble together. He could have left us to scavenge spiritually. It was his prerogative. But God gives us this bountiful spiritual feast every Lord's Day. And he invites us into this great day of rest. A day that ultimately points forward to the eternal Sabbath. The eternal rest that we have with Christ in the life to come. The Sabbath day is meant to be a foretaste of eternity for the Christian. Once a week. It's a blessing. Jesus says God made the day for man. He made the day for our benefit. I pray that we would see that more. And rejoice in the Lord's day. And rejoice in keeping the day holy to Him. It's not a day of endless It's a day of rest, letting others rest and worshiping our triune God. The day isn't a burden. Again, it's a foretaste of our eternity to come with God. Then, I'll get long here. Jesus drops the bomb of all bombs on the Pharisees, doesn't he? Verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Here Christ is making a strong claim about who he is and why he has the authority to disregard the Pharisees' Sabbath regulations. He says, first, I disregard them because you don't understand Sabbath. Secondly, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath. Do you have any idea of the implications of that? People often say, Jesus nowhere claimed to be God. <laughs> Read that line again. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's claiming to be sovereign over God's appointed day of rest. Now, whose day is the Sabbath? Right? Whose day is that? Every Jew with a brain between their ears knew it's God's day and that Yahweh is Lord over the Sabbath. But here stands the Lord Jesus face to face with these legalists who think they don't need him and think that he's a madman. And he says, in essence, today is my day. You want to know why I disregard your rules on the Sabbath? Because it's my day, not yours. I'm the interpreter of how this day is to be. I'm the one with authority over this day, not you. This day is mine. He's telling the Pharisees that they should listen to him about what he says about the Sabbath day, and by extension, everything else. He's doing nothing less than claiming to be God. He's claiming nothing less than his own deity. Because who else but God can claim that he is sovereign over God's day? Christ is either God or he is the most horrible blasphemer says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. John tells us in his gospel that Jesus made everything. and That without him, nothing was made that was made. Christ made everything, and that includes the Sabbath. He was there at creation to give the gift of Sabbath to mankind. This means he is the absolute sovereign over everything. He is nothing less than Almighty God come in the flesh. And that means that the Pharisees are obligated to submit to Jesus, not their traditions. They're obligated to submit to Christ, not the, not the Mishnah, not the Talmud and all those things. I know I'm being a bit anachronistic, but you get what I mean. They're to submit to Jesus' interpretations of the law, not their own. They're to submit to Jesus' message of how to be made right with God through faith alone in Christ alone, not their works, righteousness, earn your salvation kind of religion that they've created. They're to forsake everything that they think that they know and learn afresh from the Lord Jesus Christ is the incarnate God, the Lord of the Sabbath. Here's the kicker. The Pharisee's opinion about Jesus doesn't matter, does it? He doesn't say, the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath, if you think he is. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, whether they like it or not. He is right, whether they like it or not. He is the final authority. Not their own rules and traditions, whether or not they like it. He is God. There is no other God beside him. At this declaration, they ought to have fallen on their faces in worship. He's just demonstrated, right? Consider what we've seen so far in the Gospel of Mark. He has demonstrated who he is by his miracles. They have their proof. They should have listened to him. And now they've heard out of his own mouth that he claims to be Lord even of the Sabbath. But they were so wrapped up in their tradition that they couldn't hear him. They were so hard-hearted they continued to refuse the Lord of the Sabbath. That they claimed to love God and they claimed to love God's law, but they refused to embrace the Lord God Almighty who stood before them. 
Jesus offered them joy. Think about what he's offering the Pharisees. Joy. The forgiveness of sins. Freedom from the, from the burden of their religious system. And yet they refuse him. You see that blatantly next week. It's sad, really. Many people continue to do the same thing. He offers freedom from the burden of man-made religion. He offers freedom from the commandments of men. But so often, even professing believers want to stay with the traditions that they know instead of tasting the liberty that Christ offers them. Seth, we should pity them. They have liberty in Christ. But to sum up what we see this evening, I'm coming to a close. First, we see that the Sabbath is a blessing for us. Lord's Day is for us, the Christian Sabbath, and it's meant to be a blessing for us. We should treat it as a gift and rejoice in God's kindness and goodness in the command to rest in Him. Second, we see that Jesus has freed us from legalism, praise God. He set us free from the traditions of men, and He has set us free to obey God alone, and that brings us great joy. Third, we see that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And not only is He the Lord our day of rest, but he is the Lord who brings us our spiritual and eternal rest by his life, death, and resurrection, as Stephen is going to make explicitly clear to us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Christ is the Lord of our rest from the burden of legalism, trying to make ourselves right with God because he makes us right with God by his work. It is our work. He is Lord in general, sovereign God. We, like the Pharisees, are faced with a decision submit to the Lord Jesus as Lord? Or will we hold on to what we think is good and right and live against him in rebellion? Our prayer is that God would give us grace to do Christ rightly and submit to him as the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day blessing that you've given us to be able to come together one day in seven setting aside the work of the world, setting aside our worldly cares and focusing on you and what you've done for us in your Son. God, we thank you that Christ has set us free from sin. He set us free from the penalty due to us for our sin. And he set us free from legalism. God, I pray if anyone here is struggling with unbiblical traditions that they were raised in, that you would show them there is freedom in the Lord Jesus, not freedom so that we can live licentiously and live like people that aren't converted, but freedom so that we might only obey you. Help them to see, God, that their consciences are free from anything not contained in your word. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for that, for the liberty that we have in Christ. Lord, we ask that you would help us to submit to Christ as Lord of all. Please help us. Grant us repentance where we need it. Help us to see that Christ is the final authority and we appeal to him and we must bow the knee to him. Help us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your word.